All right, welcome to episode 91 of the Bobbycast. Uh, thanks to Blue Apron. And in with Travis Meadows. Hey, Travis. How you doing, man? You're one of those guys, and I talk about this sometimes on my radio show, where it's, you see someone on social media so much, you feel like you know them, uh-huh. but you've actually never met them. Mm. I feel that way toward you. Like, when you came in a minute ago, I was like, hey, good to see you. And I was like, we've never actually yeah. human met. Yeah. And so... That's kind of a weird thing where you follow someone online and then you feel like you kind of know them. Yeah, I feel the exact same way about you, actually. It, yeah. well, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, hey, it's finally, it's like, dude, hey, good to see you. Let's, yeah. let's talk a little bit. Yeah, it really did feel that way. I'm glad you're here because uh, to me, one, I love your music. Thank you. Uh, I think you have an incredibly interesting story, one that I also relate to. Uh, so, yeah, let's just, what I want to do first is talk about, and not even talk about, but just kind of let the listeners know. Uh, some of the songs that they may have heard that you've written on the radio before, like Dirks and Riser. I'm a riser. Or this one. We'll come back around to it. I'm a get up off the ground, don't run and hide And Jake cut, Jake only cut what we ain't got. Yeah, we all want what we ain't got. Maybe from Lindsay L., you've heard Worth the Wait. You wrote this for her. So that's just an idea. But yeah. the reason I bring you in now is because you got a new record called First Cigarette. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about that for a second. Let's, let's talk about your music first. I have learned to love the comfort when it comes. This is called First, first Cigarette right here, title track. Like a first cigarette in the morning. So tell me about this record here. Man, I'm a, I'm a mess. You know, I'm a mess, and I, I moved to town. I'd kind of given up on, on being an artist, and uh, and I was just going to be a writer. And things just kind of uh, bottomed out for me, and uh, and so I uh, checked myself into rehab two or three times. You know, trying to sort things out, and uh, and uh, and and as part of my therapy, as part of my treatment, they suggested that I keep a journal, and I don't keep journals, so I started writing songs. Uh, about that process because it was you know it was cheaper than therapy and um and so i, I did this record called killing uncle buzzy which by the way ago. i love it that's Thank how you. that's how i first heard about you that's was, how that's was, that kind of changed everything but by the time that i finished that record i was nine months sober which was awesome and uh and that record started growing legs and getting on famous people's buses so that's you know that's how uh, jake and and uh, dirks and all of those guys had kind of gotten familiar with my music and so, um, and then, you know, I, I, that was just a homework project. I, I never intended for anybody to even hear those songs, you know. And then I start getting invited to play. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you want me to come to a bar and sing songs about, you know, me getting sober? This And, and so that's what I started doing. And, and one thing led to another. And then I did another little record nobody ever knew I did. But I, I kind of needed to move past uh, Killing Uncle Buzzy, you know, because I wasn't that guy anymore. Um but first cigarette uh, is uh, in in my mind's eye is the sophomore record to Killing Uncle Buzzy because Old Ghost and Unfinished Business was kind of a um, kind of a I just needed to move forward so you know some momentum. But first cigarette, I actually sat down and thought about it. I need you know I need to do another record. It's it's a little bit of a of a saving grace to me because um, writing songs trying to. Uh, you know, guess what Tim McGraw may want to put on his next record is like, you know, trying to guess the weather in a year from now. And it's it's just terribly frustrating. And, and um, so uh, in the process of Killing Uncle Buzzy, I just kind of uh, learned uh, 
that you know it's a lot more fulfilling to write songs that I love and not worry about what anybody else wants to cut. And so first cigarette was me just going, man, here's some songs I love, and uh, 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 it is uh, I, I can be quite self indulgent in my writing, you know, because it's all about me, which is you know in itself is kind of amusing. Um, but um, but I did because I'd been out playing some shows now for for two or three years. I put myself in the listeners chair and if i was sitting there you know for an hour listening to some of these songs i was doing i would want to slip my wrist you know because it's just depressing that's why i like it because it it feels real life yeah like the first song i ever heard of yours was learning how to live alone Mm. this is from uncle buzzy Mm -hmm. alone a lot and i try to turn the lights off around 10 o'clock I read some, hit my knees some. I don't know what to do with all this freedom. The TV keeps me company when he's gone. I'm learning how to live alone. I mean, I still get chills hearing that song. I do too, honestly. Um, I do too. It moves me. That's from your journal. Yeah, totally. I mean, there, there's, you know, there's, there's, it's not rocket science. That was me trying to dig myself out of a hole. It is rocket science, though, because you're able to take that and turn it into rocket science. Yeah. Like, a lot of people struggle. We've all struggled. I mean, we're sitting mm-hmm. in a room. Sure. Uh, with you, like, what's crazy about you is you've endured so much. And a lot of people say endured. I say I, I've learned. Like, I've, I've come through my own sure. bouts. Of, but I, I look at those as learning processes, mm-hmm. you know, for me. You were a kid, and you you had, you had cancer at how old? As a teenager, fourteen, fourteen years yeah. old. So you said you were you had cancer, and you're basically your body's changing anyway. Yeah, like you're going through puberty and cancer at the same time. Yeah, I, I suggest nobody ever do that because <laughs> they both suck. <laughs> they they <clears throat> do. What? So what kind of cancer did you have at fourteen? It, it was bone cancer, osteogenic sarcoma. So in your in your right ankle, and and did they have to? Amputate part of your leg? They did. I was actually, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of a pessimist, you know, uh, but if there was something to be grateful for, that that kind of particular cancer actually usually hits in the knee, and then it races uh, to the lungs, and if it gets to the lungs, you die. Mine was in my ankle, so I actually got to keep my knee, which now, you know, at my age and, and, and bones creaking and stuff, it's, you know, because of a... Having your knee makes it a lot easier to walk on a prosthetic. That's why a lot of people don't even realize that I, you know, I'm walking on a prosthetic because I get around good. Plus, I was a determined kid. I just I was not going to limp. I'm not going to limp uh, because I was just too hard headed. I didn't want you know. So I, you know, was just stubborn enough to push through. You're 14. You're living in Mississippi at the time. Mm-hmm. You get cancer. Is your grandma raising you? You still with your grandma at this point? Yeah, at 14? Man, both, my, both my grandparents were raising me. Yeah. And so, when are you finally cancer free that time? Um, well, I had, I think I, ha- I I went to the hospital for like two years, so basically I you know I spent two years in the hospital, and I had actually I had six chemo treatments left, and back then chemotherapy was um, they said that having chemotherapy then was like what it did to your body was like having pneumonia for a year, wow. and I was doing that every two weeks. So about the time that I started feeling good and want to take a walk in the park or get outside or do something, live my life, you know, it was time to go back in. 
And so I had six treatments left, and I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And I told my grandparents, I said, I am, I am done. Live or die. I can't do that anymore. And so, uh, so I quit taking them. And, um, and then, you know, in, in pretty much any cancer, um, they say if you go five years, you're, you know, you're, you're good to go. And so I didn't even pay attention to it. You know, I had a lot of catching up to do and got my driver's license and, and started living life, you know, at 16. And, um, and then, you know, years later, went in for a checkup and everything was good. And that was, so you do the math, that was a long time ago. Do you get nervous when you go in for the checkup later on? Or are you like, you know what? Well, it's funny you should ask that because they actually, um, in my early 20s, um, I was very fortunate. I got to go to MD Anderson. In Houston, Houston. Yeah, yeah, one of the greatest cancer facilities, and uh, and they they would do they, they do a lot of research, and they were doing research, and they wanted some of my blood, so they could you know because my because my mother had cancer and my father had cancer, and both of them died, um, and they wanted blood so they could do research, and I said I ain't doing it, I'm not going in because it, secretly I was terrified that they would find something, and I didn't want to go through that again, so I put that off for a long time. I think in my late 20s or early 30s, you know, um, I've always struggled with fear. You know, to me, life was, was just a really terrifying place. My first memory on this planet is watching my little brother drown. So so life has just always been a little terrifying for me, you know, a lot to be anxious about. And um, But I was kind of wrestling some of that and, and, um, and, and wanted to face some of my fears, you know, turn around and look at the bear and— um, and so I did go in, and I did, I, you know, I called him, and I said, you know, you've been asking me for ten years now. So I went in and gave him some blood, um, and I was terrified, but it was all fine. They got their research, and I just went on about my life. You know, and they said, hey, we have your blood, and you're you're good, yeah. you're clear. Mm-hmm. Wow. You talk about your first memory of your little brother drowning. Were you four, five, six years old? Like what hell? Yeah, I was just. I, well, I was. I was. Uh, I think three going on four. Just you know, it's just this. I don't. It's it's fuzzy. Yeah. I just remember watching his legs kick until they wouldn't kick anymore. He died in like eight inches of water. He loved water, you know. Um, and everybody. Um, I don't. I don't know how candid I need to get about that. But but everybody on that side of the family was was drinking. Uh, and uh, just they weren't paying close enough attention. And he just kind of ran off, you know. And I watched it. It's things like that. Like I, you know, I go to a therapist. <clears throat> Because, you know, we all have sure. parts of us. That, I love therapy. I mean, it's a life changer. Yeah. I, and I need it. And yeah. I, we all have parts of us that are broken. Uh, I, I do especially. And so I, I go to a therapist and I'm always like, you know, I wonder why I'm here. Yeah. Like, I wonder why I had a lot of these experiences that I had as a mm-hmm. child growing up. Do you do you think that, do you wonder why? Because, again, you, you know, your little brother, you had cancer, uh, in and out of rehab. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have that? Like, why is all this happening to me? Like, what's the purpose? Uh, man, you know, that's a, I think, I think the whole world wrestles with that question. You know, um, you do have to wonder if nothing else, if you can't maybe, you know, inspire somebody else. Of course, when you're going through it, that's the last thing on your mind. I don't give a crap about them. I just want to stay alive, you know. But, uh, but it seems like if there, you know, if there was a bigger purpose, that would, you know, maybe somebody could find some hope in that. I know this. Humans are resilient animals. You know, we we get knocked down and we get back up. Um, we're just wired that way, you know. And what uh, makes you want to continue to fight? Because you fought. It's one after the other. Because I don't want to die. You know, I, there's, there's still, you know, um, 
sometimes you wonder if you know if there's anything to live for when you're in the when you're in the middle of that dark place but um but yeah you know i don't want to die i feel like i've always i've always i don't know if everybody feels this way but i've always felt like i had a purpose i just never could figure out what it was and that kind of keeps me getting up in the morning and and uh you know willing to try again and uh, face this you know scary world again i will say that that the the whole process of making these records and and developing a little uh fan base a loyal fan base um you know small as small and mighty uh, that that has given me quite a quite a uh, a sense of uh purpose it's very fulfilling you know for those people to listen to the music and connect to it and some of the kind things that they say on uh social media and stuff it's a you know it's a good feeling i struggle with the purpose thing a lot it's i think we all do like i it's just like whoa what is it like how do i sometimes i have to create something to chase yeah like i I have to put something out there and go this might be my so because if i don't have a purpose then it's like what's the use right sometimes i don't i can't figure it out yeah and so I, you know, I, and I know your story, and I, I love your music, but I hear your story in your music. And so, like example, like you know, you talk about, and I'll just, I hit this, this, what well, we ain't got, like this song. All I want this, is what I, I mean, have. When you sing this song, it makes me want to cry. Yeah. All I want is what I have. I trade it all just to get her. So you cut the song for you, you put it out mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. And how does Jake get a hold of it? I think some, I guess, you know, like I said earlier, the, that record just started growing legs and getting on people's buses and somewhere he got a copy of it and fell in love with it. So it know? wasn't, it wasn't like a pitch or like, hey, Jay. He just heard the song, and then he reaches out and goes, hey, would you mind if I cut this? Yeah, he was actually such a, a gentleman about that whole process. He called me himself. We had met years ago in another in another life, you know, in another dimension, and um, he was uh, he was just getting started, and I was right in the, you know, in the, in the middle of that dark place, and, and uh, we met, and uh, I had made a, a record a, a long time ago that he got his hands on, and he liked that too. So, we, you know, we kind of connected, but it was, you know, a loose connection. Um, but he called me and he said, I did not want, you know, you to find out about this through the, through the normal channels. I wanted to call you personally and just say, uh, you know, I love this song and I'm going to record it. And my first, my first thing out of my mouth was you have lost your mind. You know, why would you think that? Well, because, because that kind of a song is not what, uh, what radio is normally playing. And, 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 and trust me, I'm not one of those guys that is dogging what's happening in radio oh i'm one you, of those guys though well yeah. if you can make a dollar in music today you know what i mean <laughs> right. uh, uh, then congratulations because it's a it's a tough road so kudos to you but um but my second thought was thank you and and he even recorded it like he was so careful he even wanted to record it like i did because of he wanted to keep the integrity of the song and and basically honor me in the way that he recorded it and so he was so humble and like you know I hope you love it. We tried really hard to kind of keep the, uh, and then put me in his video. You know, he didn't have to do that. Put me in both videos, actually. Got me up in front of, I don't know, 20-something thousand people and got me to sing it with him. We didn't rehearse or anything. Talk about a pee-your-pants moment, man, (laughs) you know. Uh, And it was a half-step lower, so right when I went for my part, I was like, hey, you know. (laughs) 
But uh, he was very kind. Here's Jake's version. Yeah, we all want what we ain't got. We all wish it didn't hurt. When you try your best and it doesn't work. And goodbye is such a painful word. Such a good song. You were you were a missionary for a while. Yeah, Christian missionary. Uh, where? Oh shoot! I quit counting countries at like twenty. Uh, well, you know, what age did you decide to, to start? Twenty doing? twenty. I was twenty four years old, and had a <laughs> and had a bad acid trip, and uh, and I saw the devil, and I you know and I'm I'm kind of a simple guy, and I thought well you know if I saw the devil you know god must be real and so that was it i have a real addictive personality i can't do a little bit of anything and so you know when i was getting high i wanted everybody around me to get high when i found jesus i wanted everybody to find jesus you know so that took me on a on a road to you know some of the biggest churches in america and just about every state and uh and then that kind of turned into a global thing and and uh uh yeah it was a you know it was a it was a wild ride um if if you ever come to one of my live uh, shows, there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of storytelling, and um, you know, at um, I did that for 17 years, and then I, and then I you're a uh, missionary for 17 years. Well, I, I was a I was a youth pastor. I was a worship leader. I was an evangelist. You're involved. You're you're involved with God for 17 years. 17 directly. years, yeah. And uh, and then I started asking questions that I I didn't like the answers. Too, and then I then I kind of bottomed out. I, actually, one of them, you know, I'm I'm really chemotherapy when I when I was a kid really messed up my hearing, so I'm like deaf, like hearing aid deaf. And so when I listen to music, it's usually just an emotional feeling. I I can't actually hear the words. And I printed the lyrics to uh, that Dylan song with God on our side. It messed me up, man. I mean, it it messed me up. And, and that was taxi read. The lyrics. I read the lyrics instead of just hearing what you couldn't hear all the way. But then when you read it, you were just like, Whew. "Yeah, yeah." It kind of messed my head up, uh, and uh, and that, of course, I was. Uh, there was a time in my life when that wouldn't have affected me at all. But I just happened to be right at the top of the slide, about to go down, you know. And that was kind of one of the final things that, like, you know, I'm done. If this is the best plan y'all got, I am out. And so, uh, so I spent the next six years, you know, uh, drunk. Basically, I moved to town from. Uh, from uh, you know the last place I was uh, in ministry at, and I and I, I moved here, and I was just going to try to be a songwriter, and then a, uh, I got somebody to set up two, three publishing meetings, and the first two went so bad I didn't go to the third one, and um, and so I said, well, you know, I, I guess that's it. I got nowhere to go, so I just I went back to something that felt familiar and started drinking and just stayed drunk. Never got a hangover because I I had you know. Vodka for breakfast. I mean, you know, I, I, I rode that pony as hard as it would go. Were you writing at all during the process? I've and, always and, written. And even when you were drinking at that point, were you, were you still writing? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I've always, I've, I can't remember when I wasn't writing, even as a kid, you know. Of course, I, I used to be in some bands. I started off in the drum, on, on the drums, and this um, 16-year-old, you know, that sneaked me in the back door because I was underage and I'd play drums and stuff, and in a couple bands when I was a kid, and I remember bringing out some some lyrics because we were trying to write a little bit, experimenting in that. And some of the band members laughed at the lyrics that they were stupid. So I 
And lyrics, man, to a writer, uh, songs are kind of like kids, you know, and you're, it's, it's a little bit of a scary, you know, to throw it out there because they're a little bit like your kids and you're, you're afraid they're going to say your kids are ugly. So, so after those guys kind of laughed at my songs, I just kept them, you know, to myself for, for a long time because um, I didn't want to feel that kind of rejection again. Um, and then in the middle of the, uh, um, in the middle of, uh, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I met a guy, David Huff, uh, David and the Giants. He was a huge Christian rock guy, and um, and and he listened to one of my songs. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but he basically validated it and said, uh, you know, I'd love to write with you." And and that was when the 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 uh, the the machine kind of turned back on, and I went, "Well, maybe I, you know, maybe they're not so stupid after all." So that was kind of a a nice uh, pat on the back, and then then I started, you know, writing and letting people hear them again, and that was in that was in my mid twenties when all that happened. Talk about Blue Apron for one second. So people ask me a lot, you know, why do I use Blue Apron? One, because food's real good, and two, it's easy because it comes right to the door. It's prepackaged, like the ingredients are pre-portioned. So let's say you need one of the uh, one of the uh, ingredients, right? And sometimes you have to go buy a whole jar to get a pinch. No, they just send you a pinch. If that's all you need. So all the ingredients are pre-portioned. You can make things that you would never be able to make, like baked tilapia and creamy kale with frigola sarda pasta. Again, sometimes I make things. I don't even know what they mean. I just make them, and then I tell you about them because that's what I picked. That's what they sent me. Blue Apron offers 12 new recipes each week. Customers can pick two, three, four, based on your schedule. And they send only non-GMO ingredients with no hormones added so if you're listening right now to the bobbycast you're like man that sounds good blue apron is treating the bobbycast listeners to the first dinner a 30 dollars value go blueapron.com slash bobbycast blueapron.com slash bobbycast blue apron you're gonna love it blue apron is a better way to cook All right so let's see I have, I have a lot of music i have so much to talk about here All right, with you i have so much to talk about i got so many layers here that i want to get into let's do um Let's talk about this for a second. I'm a riser. So, Dirk's this is a massive song for Dirk. Mm-hmm. This is Travis Meadows' song. I mean, tell me, like, when what's what's the Travis story of this song? All right. Well, uh, I the the last time I got out of rehab, I knew that I was done. I was I was I was done. I'm not done in what way? Like you're not going back to rehab? I, no, I ain't doing none of that. I'm not going back. I I spent I spent you know some time uh, in jail for you know, and I just I remember sitting there thinking this is never going to happen to me again. That was the second time, by the way, and um, and I said I'm not doing it no more. And I I called a treatment facility and I said if you'll detox me one more time, you will never see me again with my suitcase. You know they'll. In those circles, they all talk about a bottom, and a bottom is, you know, if you if you hit that, you know, but you got to find it for yourself, and and that was my bottom that last trip to jail, and so I started getting better, and um and uh, you know nine months went by, and then a year, and then and about two years, man, I started, um, I had a real weird transformation, and I remember sitting in a in a writing room with somebody, and I said, something is, is really wrong with me. Something's kind of out of whack. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I, I quit killing people in my songs, and, I, and I'm starting to write about hope and love. And, and she asked me a question. It was so simple, I kind of, it stunned me. She said, well, are you happy? And I had to think about it for a minute, and, and I, you know, I'm, that makes me smile now thinking about it. And I said, oh, my God, I, 
I am. I'm, I'm happy. It had been so long since I had been truly happy. And even the first part of that happiness I couldn't enjoy because I kept waiting on the piano to fall on my head. You know, it's like, uh, and so finally I just said, I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to be happy and I'm going to quit being, you know, negative Nelly. And, and, um, and I just embraced that joy. And, um, and, uh, and I was at about that place when, uh, when Steve Mokler and I, uh, we had, we had written about a year before and I was still kind of, you know, in a, in a, in a dark, spot i was coming out of it you know i was in the shadows uh, but i was coming out and uh you know he's this hopeful optimistic young man good looking just has it all everything you know i just hated him as soon as i met him you know <laughs> everything i hate in a guy and wound up being dear friends i love him dearly but he you know he came bouncing in the room and he's i got this great idea it's called wide open you know because like the skies are blue even when it's raining and and uh, man, I'm in love. I'm going to marry this girl. And I'm thinking, I, I cannot relate to anything you're saying. And uh, but uh, but I I got a son, and um, and I told him, well, maybe if I can't be hopeful or optimistic for myself, I could I could be hopeful for him. And so we wrote this song, uh, Wide Open, which was on that second record. Uh, uh, and Steve actually put it on his record as well. Um, and it's this, you know, optimistic, kind of like a letter to somebody coming behind you. You know, you you have a lot to live for, even though I did not feel it at the time. Fast forward uh, a year or so, and we get back in the room, and I'm starting to come alive again. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of a resurrected Travis, you know. And and he comes bouncing in the room, and I said, I I think I have an idea, you know, because I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to be a participant in life. I, I kind of laid down for about six years and just kind of, you know. Uh, just kind of checked out, but I'm ready to I'm ready to check back in. And uh, this, you know, it's kind of about a survivor, and you know, I can I can fight, and I'll you know I'll get back in. And and he smiled, and and he said, um, I don't think I've lived enough life to to help you write this song. You know, I hadn't been through enough. And I said, but but that optimism that that you express, you know, that you live, that comes so naturally to you, I think is is the magic bullet on this song because otherwise it's just going to wind up being another dark travis song and uh and so that's where it came from you know was was me you know wanting to be a, a participant in life again um and ironically two of my favorite parts of that song like i would not in a million years would i call myself a lighter i'll be a fighter i'll be a get back up or i've you know not but i wouldn't say lighter you know that was steve man that optimism i'm a lighter you know so uh, it was great so how does Durst get the song I'm sorry. How does Dirks end up getting the song? I think there was a publisher that um, there was a publisher that that had been getting some of my songs. Um, actually, that dude is one of the first two meetings that I had that went so bad, which is so funny. Talk about coming full circle. The two meetings that I had that went so well, he was one of them. And then years later becomes a fan of my songs, and he didn't even remember that that you know that he had. Wow, really? Yeah, uh, and uh, I even tried to explain it to him, uh, and he was like, "I'm so sorry about that." I'm like, "No, you don't understand. I I think those words I needed to hear to make me write from a you know from a different spot." So, so he got a hold of it and he sent it to Dirk. And all this took place on Facebook, so I wasn't even it's was Facebook Messenger, so I wasn't even sure if it was real. You know what I mean? <laughs> you may have been getting like, catfish. Yeah, me and Dirk's are about to cut this song. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And uh, I tried to send him an email, like, "Are you for real?" And, and silence. And then the next thing I know, uh, you know, I get another. We cut it, and we love it. Wow. And that was it. 
And then, I mean, you talk about success. That, that's major success. Like commercial, yeah. money, mainstream. You can pay the bills mm. for a while because of yeah. that song. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was that? good. How about that? You know what? The new record. Let me talk about this because I'm going to tell you something. Push it down. It comes out sideways. This is my favorite song on the new record. Mine too. Really? Yeah. Push it down. It comes out sideways. Sideways, Your music is the music I listen to when I'm not having to listen to the stuff that I, they make me listen to for work. Like, you know, I, I play songs on the radio and I like some of them, some of them I don't. But I don't go home and listen to a lot of the stuff that I play yeah. on the radio. Have a, we have home music. Like, you're, you're my home music. Well, thank you. And whenever it's like, you know, whenever Travis makes a record, I'm like, let's get that record out. Yeah. Like, I'm ready. I, I hear it sideways. I'm like, man, like, it just hits me right in the gut. That that song in particular, when when that when that started coming out, that's when I knew I had a record in me. Um, I I was down in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, Opelousas, Louisiana, at a treatment facility for for kids, uh, eighteen and under, adolescent treatment facility. Two words that should not go together, but they do. And I was down there speaking to them and singing, you know, some some songs and telling them my story, hoping they don't, you know, walk down that same road that I did, and and um, and I just kind of had this crazy idea. I said, well, you know, you've been sitting here kind of listening to, to my life and song. If we were going to write your song, what would that song be? And a couple hands went up and, and a couple of young ladies shared some stories. And I remember one of them in particular, uh, and just out of respect for them, I'm not going to you know, say what it was. But I remember my first thought thinking, uh, I'd want to get high too. I would, there ain't no doubt about it. I'd want to check out and I'd want to get high too because nobody deserves to go through that. And um, and then for some reason, you know, how did how'd that make you feel? And one tear come rolling down her cheek. She, and she wiped it away and she said, I don't feel nothing. And I'm stuck. Like, what you know, what do you do after that? I, I got the, how does that make you feel? Now what do I do, you know? And, and one of the counselors kind of stepped in and said, you know, if, if all you have to work with is a hammer, you're going to treat the whole world like a nail. It's okay to to have more than one emotion and it doesn't have to be anger all the time because if you push it down it comes out sideways and that's when whatever he was saying to her went away and then it turned into treatment for trav and i'm sitting there you know having a moment thinking about how much of my life because our you know our generation my generation anyway maybe yours you know as a man you're not supposed to talk about your feelings you're just supposed to man up and just get on about your business you know and so you don't talk about your weaknesses. You don't talk about your fears. You don't talk about, uh, you know, things that hurt you deeply when you were a child. You just man up and you walk through it, you know. And so that's the way that I live my life. And then in treatment, you know, uh, I started getting permission from counselors to feel those feelings. And I'm like, are you serious? We can, yeah, let's talk about them. And it kind of turned on, a, you know, we talked a little earlier about therapy. And, and then all of a sudden, the, the, so I can talk about this. And, man, it's like the floodgate opened for me um and it was quite life-changing um and i thought about how you know how often i had pushed things down and they kind of came out sideways you know and it and it hit me every time that i get mad every single time that i get mad it's because i'm afraid of something and i wanted to address that in my own life and the way that i process things sometimes i don't even know how i feel about it until i write the song but um but that song you know started evolving i i, I let it simmer in my head and heart for 
two or three weeks, and and then I went down to Clarksdale, Mississippi, at the Shack Up Inn, and I with the intentions of writing a record, and that song started coming out. And man, they usually I have to labor over songs. That one came out in about thirty forty five minutes. It was just there waiting to you know to come out. Wow. And that's when I knew I had a record. That song. Push it down, it comes out sideways. Oh. You can that's, hear my you, on that second you, that second verse. Sideways. You can hear me. I, I I started to break up a little bit. I, I almost cried uh, right after. You know, I have moments when I act just like my father, the only man that ever broke my heart. And then you, and when I say push it down, you can hear my voice crack. I I about lost it. And Jeremy Spielman produced the record. And he asked me, "You want me to take that out?" And I said, "No, I don't think I do. I wanted to you know I wanted to feel what I was feeling. So pretty, I felt like a pretty brave moment." You know, for me to leave that in there. The moments like the record, though, honest. I think that's the one, the one consistent thing that I take from the what you put out. It just, it just feels so transparent. Good, bad, ugly, pretty. It's just transparent. It is what it is, and that's why it resonates. And you talk about generations. You know, you're supposed to feel even on the socioeconomic level. For like, I grew up very poor. And when you're poor, you don't have time to worry about emotions. Mm-hmm. You got to eat. Yeah. And so as you're talking about that and you're like, I don't know if it is for, you know, for your generation. But I think we grew up, like I grew up in a really small town called Mount Pine, Arkansas. You mm-hmm. grew up down in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. I think we grew up in kind of the same place. Yeah. To where it wasn't a thing. Like you, you didn't talk about feel, that. It wasn't even allowed because it wasn't the most important seven things. Yeah. The feelings, yeah. who cares? You gotta, you gotta pay, turn the lights on. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta pay for food. Yeah, you know, I got, I had a, an addict mom who ended up dying in her forties, and I didn't have a dad forever, and so it's, I got a sister to take care of. Yeah, I gotta get everybody, to, and so as you say that stuff, like I'm just sitting here, like trying not to cry myself. Yeah, I think there's room for, I think there's room for some authenticity in this world. I think there's room for some honesty, man. We are inundated on a daily basis with, with lies and, and, and with, with things that we're uncertain of, you know, and, um, and for somebody to say, this kind of scares me a little bit and, you know, just raise your hand right in front of everybody and go, I'm a little, I'm a little scared here, you know, or. Or this hurts, I, I, you know. I think that's the thing that that resonates. And and you know, this I have to say though, this this is kind of an accidental thing for me. This isn't something I planned and said. You know, I tell you, I, I tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna write these, you know, really honest songs about some of my dark parts and watch people connect to it. No, it was me digging out of a hole, man. This was just therapy, uh, and it just turned into you know to something. And I remember. Somebody came up to me not too long ago, and they they said something that that kind of it was like a punch to the gut. They said, "You know, I don't know what you were doing during the preacher years, but you're preaching now." And and at first, it it kind of made me a little angry. Like you, I mean, I spent 17 years. There's some food. I still don't know what it was I ate. I've slept in huts in Africa. I was sincere. And for you to say, you know, that 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 doesn't so I had to process it. I had to I had to take some time and think about what they were saying. And then it eventually led me to the question, well, what is it that you are doing? Because I don't want the responsibility of changing lives. That's too big for me. I I'm 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 just being me and I'm singing my songs 
and and if and if the universe or God or whatever wants to do something in your life, that's between y'all. That's I, I got my own plate. I got my own yard to keep clean over here. Um, but it did force me to, you know, ask, well, what are you doing? And I think I think what I'm doing is uh, between the storytelling and and the songs. You know, I think I'm giving people permission to be okay right where they're at, scars and all. There's not a lot of people are doing that. Um, and it's not that I, it's not that I, um, again, it wasn't intentional, but, but, you know, we were talking about purpose earlier. I think, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I made that up, but, but, but I kind of came to the conclusion, well, well, that's a, that's a fair, that's a fair sense of purpose. Just, you know, um, just be yourself authentically. You, you know, my shows are filled with mistakes, man. I can't hear if something's going wrong in the monitor, you know, I mean, it's just, but I keep getting up and I keep going back, you know. Man, how about this one right here? Better boat. Come on. Better boat, huh? Tell me about that one. Man, I was in a. I, I don't think you're supposed to say it in public because of a thing called anonymity. But I'll I'll say there are these places. There's these little clubs that meet in the in the basement of churches, and they sit on leather couches and drink coffee and talk about how they're hardwired for the hunt, you know. And uh, and I was in one of those club meetings one day, and somebody said that said serenity, you know, something that really. Um, Applied to me, he said, serenity, you know, we're all looking for it. Serenity is not found in a calmer ocean or a calmer sea. Serenity is found in a better boat. And uh, I got my phone out and made a little note. And I was actually on the uh, um, on the schedule with Liz Rose, who wrote a lot of that Taylor Swift stuff, you know. And um, and I told her the idea, and um, and she loved it. And so we, she basically just, you know, uh, just helped me process, you know, that – the idea of of building a better you and making you know and using a you know boat as the as the format and I'm I love that song I'm really really proud of it I, I love the way it turned out. You still living in well I don't know, we'd call it a camper. Growing up, do you, live, do you still live in like the Winnebago, the trailer, the Winnebago? That's actually just my man cave. It's sitting in my driveway, and I just go out there because I don't smoke in my house, and okay. so I go out there and I'm, I'm kind of keep going back and forth, quit and then smoke again. I've had a real stressful past few months. I quit for a while, and, but anyway, my my that little Winnebago camper uh, is my man cave. I go out there and process and sort my thoughts. It's pretty cool. You got to come by and see it one day. Yeah, it's pretty rocking. I I I lived in the camper for about a year. Like it was a, it wasn't a camper shell and it wasn't a full RV. Uh-huh. It was the kind you would attach to ball the truck. Yep. And so I never had a bedroom growing up. And so there was we kept a camper. And I lived just lived in the camper. Yeah. And so that's exactly what this is. And I put a box fan. I had a box fan. I mm-hmm. keep it in there. I plug in. I run an extension cord though because we there were like six of us in a nine hundred foot square house. Mm-hmm. And so we had you know not a lot of room. So I was like, okay, I don't have any room. I'll go live in the camper. Yeah. So I went live in the camper and we I run an extension cord out through the window. Plug in the box fan, yep. and then I'd have a. This is a cordless phone days. I have a cordless phone. I've taken charge all day. Then I come home, I take the cordless yep. phone, I take it out, and just stay in the camper. Yep. But now I sleep, and then that, I mean, I've seen pictures. I've you know I know about the, your camper a little bit. 
But it was always like I have fond memories of that. Yeah. It's not even a bad memory to me that, that I lived in a camper for a year. Like that's a good memory to me. Yeah. Because it was my own place. It was, yeah. There were my own walls. Yeah. After after uh, after my divorce, I I I left with a with a guitar in one hand and a very small suitcase in the other. I was still drinking. I just you know it was like I just took lighter fluid and sprayed it on my whole life and then let it on fire to see what you know how it would turn out. And um, and I bounced around and lived in little you know one room houses here and there. Uh, and there's something about though you know uh, I slept on the floor on a camping mat for probably two or three weeks and uh and then I got a chair and I was so proud of that chair you know and every time I'd look at that chair I you know I kind of I got up off the ground and I and I figured out a way to make a couple bucks and I bought that chair why I didn't buy a bed first I have no idea <laughs> I've still got that chair it's my writing chair you know and then next thing you know I got a few pictures on the wall and starting to build a life this album here's uh his underdogs maybe that makes us who we are we are we are we are the underdogs we are we are we are the underdogs a little more grit to this one yep yeah we then, Totally an on purpose. Uh, yeah. It was an on purpose because uh, I I wanted to add some levity. I wanted to add some hope to this record because I knew, you know people were uh, well. Frankly, I was getting tired of doing these sad songs every night. You know, I needed a breath of air. Uh, much you know, I just assumed that anybody coming to the shows did as well. So so uh, you know, pray for Jungle Land, Underdogs, a uh, guy like me is you know faster, upbeat. Uh, happier songs that's a, that, and that I hope I hope it sounds like growth because you know Killing Uncle Buzzy was completely self-indulgent me just trying to dig out of a hole Old Ghost Unfinished Business was just kind of me trying to be anything but Uncle Buzzy and this record was me actually thinking about other people and going you know here, here's a part of me and, and I'm doing better and you know um, so I get, you got the heavy song Sideways you know so I still a uh, you know, do some heart work, uh, some operating, but then you get to take a breath, you know, in between songs, and yeah, just bob your head a little bit. And... Look at that. Look at this guy over here. Some of the songs, like, let's say, uh, Church Cut, Dark Side. Uh-huh. Uh, there was an album cut. Oh, yeah. And that's why my dark side don't ever see the light of day. Look at that. Yeah, man. How'd it feel when he cut that? We actually wrote that together. You know, it's interesting because a career, you know, I moved here to be a songwriter, and it and it's not the best career decision to quit writing songs for Nashville and just start writing for me and making records. That was not, uh, from the outside looking in, was not the smartest career move I could make because a smarter man would have been writing songs and trying to get those people to record them, but it's not what I did. I started I started writing these songs and um and 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 making records because it was survival and it was it was what I had to do. And Eric Church heard those records and even looked me in the eye and said if you weren't making records you wouldn't be on this bus, you know, cuz I don't want some Nashville songwriter on this bus. I want Travis Meadows on this bus. So that was a a real 
uh, affirmation that that I had made a, a good decision. You know, man, look at he's that. a great writer. Golly, man, that dude is a is a force of nature. A lot of times when you write with artists, you, you do the heavy lifting. Uh, not so with Eric. Really, mm, man, he he totes his own water, and he knows exactly what he wants to say. Uh, which I admire. He knows exactly what he wants to say and how he wants to say it. And so you'll throw a line out and, ah, you know, but I'd say this and make it rhyme. So it's it's always a pleasure to write with him. And this one from Lindsay L. I love this song. It's a good one. I remember the first time I heard it before she cut it. She, I was just like, man. Like I could hear the, the her and I could hear the you. Yeah. I was like, I just hear both of you, yeah. like at the same time. I think I, I like to think I should say that that if I'm not writing for me, that I can kind of ask enough questions and kind of get inside of their head and 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 try to help them sort their thoughts. It's what what I felt like I was doing that day was helping her sort her thoughts and make it rhyme, you know. But but I you know I didn't want it to be a Travis song. I wanted I wanted me. You know, getting inside of her head and helping her process so that she could get out to the world what she was trying to say. I love that song. Man, she was a pleasure to work with. Look at you. I hope everybody checks out First Cigarette. This is the song again. When it comes. And if you get a chance to see Travis, go see him. I mean, I'm just a massive fan. Thank you. Well, I'm a fan of yours as well, buddy. I, I admire anybody that, that has the tenacity to, you know, to, to go after life and just, you know, just do it. And you're doing it, man. That's a good thing. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying as hard as I can. Yeah. Some days not right. Yeah. Most days not right. But the good days when they hit, yeah. you're like, this is why I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really all that matters, man. At the end of the day, you know, as long as you're trying, you're getting up and, you know, and trying. I feel like if you don't have that sense of, uh, of uh, you know, momentum in your life, uh, you, you know, you watch old guys, they reach and then they retire, and they, it seems like everybody that retires, they die. They die, yeah, yeah. Right after that. But, right. the, but the old guys that just keep working, they just live, live Willie Nelson, they just, they just keep going, you know what I mean? They, they get nice, full lives, and, and so, I, you know, I, I, think it's a, I think it's admirable, finding something and going after it. And, and if you don't know exactly what you're going after, invent it, you know? It's well, great. it has been a pleasure. I appreciate you coming by and sharing your story, and I appreciate you making music more than anything. Yeah, thank you, man. Feels like I've known you for ages. Yeah, actually, thank the first you. time we've physically touched hands was today, but it feels like I've known you awesome. for ages. All right, Travis Meadows, I encourage you to check out First Cigarette. I mean, listen, I, I, I still listen to Uncle Buzzy. I mean, just if you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Go find him. Go, go to a show. He's all over. The, I see you driving around, all playing shows all over the place. Oh yeah, Look at this Come guy. On. All right, that's episode 91 here on the Bobbycast. Thank you, everybody.